Take that Bible this morning and look back to Ephesians 4. And I, I want to just extend out a little bit of what I preached on last week to make sure that we're understanding the connections of our glorious salvation. I've titled this message, Mortify the Flesh. Mortify the Flesh. And we find it in that wonderful section in 422 through 24, where Paul tells us, assuming, he says in 21, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we come to that section there in 22 to put off your old self. In old language, it would be to mortify the flesh. And so when we title it as such, it comes out of that phrase. Now, you remember all along as we've been going, we said there's kind of two major parts with the book of Ephesians. There's the first three chapters, and then there's the second three chapters. The first three chapters we stated are what we call the indicatives, who we are in Christ Jesus. And he just kept pounding our high position, pounding maybe just as we just got done singing, he will hold me fast because he's sovereign over our salvation. All those indicatives of what he's done for us, he saved us, he redeemed us, he forgave us all of our sins. He put us in the heavenly places. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But then when we got to chapter four through six, he launched out, if you will, on the imperatives, what we must do, what we must be. And so he takes us from who we are to what we are to do. He made us alive, certainly in chapter two, verse five. He caused our hearts to be regenerated and born again. All of that occurs at salvation. But as we walk in our Christian life, it is a progressive, ongoing work of God. Now that ongoing work, or we can use the word walk in 4.1, is called sanctification. Sanctification, you might ask, what is sanctification? Sanctification, just to take a theological word, is Christ-likeness. If you're wondering what does it mean to be sanctified, it is Christ-likeness. It is the process of growing in holiness. So as we're in that process, we're growing to be more like Christ. We're growing in holiness. We're gaining an increasing freedom from sin as we become more like Jesus Christ. In fact, he called us and redeemed us in chapter one, verse four, that we would be holy and blameless. And so, yes, he does massive work in those indicatives and calling us and redeeming us, but he puts us in this process of sanctification where we're learning Christ and growing in Christ and overcoming sin. So here's the outline as, as we go forward. Look at the next slide. 
There's, this is 22, 23, 24. We are in the mortification of the flesh to put off the old self. We are then in verse 23 on the meditation of the word to be renewed in the mind. And then in verse 24, the manifestation of Christ likeness. This came out of Jim Berg's book, uh, changed into his image. But I, I think it will be easy for you to see it that way. There's mortification, there's meditation with the goal of manifestation of the life of Christ. Now, when we deal with that top one on the mortification of the flesh, look, it's there in verse 24. To put off your old self. Now, that old self, if you look back in verse 17, where he tells us in this imperative here, the command, that you must no longer walk as the Gentile, no longer that old you know, man that you were, as he uses that phrase as a Gentile, it speaks of, in some places, of those who don't know God. They walk in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. And so he tells us now to put off or to mortify the flesh. You say, well, what is he asking us to put off? Aren't we new in Christ? And the answer would be yes. But we mentioned last week, there lives within us. Uh, it's even hard to classify it. Let's just call it unredeemed flesh that remains in us. In other words, we get saved and you know this. You're saved, but you don't become perfect. You are then put in a process of sanctification. And as you get to chapter four, you have a very specific responsibility. And that is to put off the old self. In other words, you need to take it off like a garment, if you will, and defeat sin. The principle is Paul in Romans 8, 12. We are under obligation, he says, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if we are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's that thought, putting to death. It means to mortify or it means to render inoperative. It's Calvin, I mentioned last week, called the old self the smoldering cinder. In other words, even though we've been redeemed, even though we've been forgiven, even though we've been made alive. You say, what is that? There's still unredeemed flesh that lives within us. Again, Calvin's word, a smoldering cinder. Now, what, what are we to do with our sin? Well, we're to put it off. You say, well, what kinds of sin? Well, uh, that would include worry. That would include deception. That line that would include destructive habits such as drugs and drinking and anorexia and bulimia and overeating were to put off even anger or a critical spirit or discontentedness or profanity or sins of the tongue, bitterness 
laziness, rebellion to authority. Rebellion to authority is sin. That would include greed, materialism, gambling, lust, pornography, adultery, just to list a few of them. In other words, if you're in Christ, you're to mortify the flesh. You are to be, he called us to be holy and blameless. Paul said it best in Romans 8, 13. Lock this in your mind early on here. Put to death the deeds of the body. And I finished last week by saying, be killing sin or it will kill you. You say, well, Scott, how do I, how do I mortify sin, even the sins you just listed? Well, you put it off. You take it off, as it says there in 22. Now, let me see if I can just give you just a little breakout here so that you understand the doctrine of salvation. You say, obviously, it's a very rich thought is what salvation is, and there's much to say on it. But at least if I put it in some broad, sweeping categories so that you know where this fits in your Christian life, and this would be a great source of uh, conversation at your grace group this week, okay? On a broad, sweeping look at salvation, you would say it with me. There's justification, sanctification, and what? Glorification. Now, there's more in the doctrine of salvation, but on a broad scope, justification, here we are this morning, sanctification, and then there is glorification, the final state. Let me just unpack that just briefly on the uniqueness, the, the distinctiveness, and maybe even the separateness of justification and sanctification. I want you to know how does it that how is it that Paul says to put this off? First, what is justification? And I'm just reminding you of this just briefly. Justification, I think as most of you know, is a legal act of God by which he declares the sinner righteous in his sight. That's how I see it. In other words, it is a judicial uh, you know, it's almost as God as the judge has his gavel. And when you trust Christ through faith, he declares you on the spot righteous. He justifies you. That's why we could sing, he will hold you fast. If he declared you righteous in his sight, then you are indeed righteous. Now you say, well, Scott, that's a big term. No, there's no big terms at Grace Church of the Valley. Justification is simply, and I don't have time here, a biblical term. It's used all over in Romans chapter 3. And he says there, I'll just give you one in 3.20. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, no amount of works can ever declare a sinner righteous. God has to do that. You say, well, what does he do? Well, just two things. First, he has to remove sin from your account, from my account. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin, here's the picture, is covered. In other words, it's covered over. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, 
he declared you righteous and justified you. And when he did that, he removed every sin from your account. So Asha even said in his prayer, we should just be so stunned for that moment today, right? Just to think that if, you, if you're sitting in here and you have a relationship with Christ, he removed all your sin, past, present, and even future to the point where he's holding you fast. Of course, Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no, what? Condemnation. Why? Because he justified you. He removed all your sin. But we noted, and we have said before, something's got to be added. If it was just sin removed, you and I would stand neutral before the Lord, which wouldn't actually get anybody into heaven. You need something added. And so what was added is not only did he take away your sin and justification, he added Christ's righteousness, okay? In other words, his righteous life lived out 33 years without sin was then deposited into your account. So in that wonderful act of God redeeming you, saving you, justifying you, he not only pulls away every sin that you will ever commit, but he puts into your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The reformers wrote much on this. They called it an alien righteousness. In other words, it's a righteousness that comes to you, not through your works, but it is actually put into your ledger. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, it comes outside of yourself. So God not only removes your sin, but he transfers the perfect righteousness of his life into our account. No wonder the song said, some of you might know it by heart, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide thyself in thee. And then it says in that stanza, be of sin, in that hymn, the double cure. And we understand the double cure. Something's got to be removed and something must be added. Now, so that's, that's what it is. Something's removed, something's added. Thirdly, how does justification become ours? I mean, really, that's probably the million dollar question. How do you get that? Maybe some of you are here without Christ, even this morning, praise the Lord, you're in the hearing of the word of God. I mean, I can just tell you with crystal clear um, thought here from the word of God, how do you get that? What is here, see, the instrument of justification? And the Bible's uber clear in 328 of Romans that we're justified by what? Faith apart, it says, from the works of the law. In other words, you're declared righteous, but how? The instrument upon which that becomes yours, and it could become yours this morning, here is faith. But it's not your faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith. Now, I've mentioned before, and I don't want you to just skip over that, because that's not what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, and you know that. It's not what they teach. They teach, if I 
were to say, and we were looking at C, on the instrument of justification, they teach that the instrument of justification is what? What is it? It's baptism. Say, really? Yeah, it's baptism. It's in all their documents. I'm not trying to be offensive. It's baptism. They would teach, and I'm quoting here from their documents, that the primary instrumental cause of justification is baptism. So you understand then a little bit if people are running their babies to be sprinkled at whatever day that is, they're sprinkling their baby and that is salvific. You say, well, no, and that's not really. No, that's what they teach. So you're going to bet that they're going to take their little children to be baptized because that is the instrumental act upon which they're declared righteous. Okay. now then the sacraments of penance is the secondary restorative cause. So I want to be clear here. They affirm justification. They would add this is by faith, but they deny that it is by faith, what? (laughs) Alone, okay? And they add works, I think somebody said works, as a necessary condition. But beloved, just clearly, I'm gonna get into mortification. Here, the Bible teaches, not baptism is the issue, you know that. The issue is your faith. The issue is you individually. The issue is not your parents. The issue is not your grandparents. We're thankful, I'm asking you, If you've cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ in personal faith to him, because nobody else is going to save you, your sister, your brother, your grandmother, your mom, your dad. If you're in here at some point, you have got to come to a trust and bow your knee in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you are not justified. I want to be clear here because of your faith. If so, faith would be deemed and understood as a work, you are justified by your faith in another, in another, in in the person of Christ and what he has done. You say, well, Scott, why is it by faith? Maybe just one, one, one more thing. Well, it's real clear why it's by faith. And I'll just quote the scripture for you. It's Romans 4, 16. It is by faith, and I'm quoting, in order that it might be in accordance with grace. So the reason that faith is the instrument is you have to look away from yourself to another Christ and what he has done. And it's by faith as you look away to another for this reason, that it might be by grace. In other words, he gets all the glory. So justification then is that, okay? And sanctification They've got to be distinguished, but they could never be separated. So let me draw you in now to what is sanctification. And that's where Paul is, is in Romans 4.22. What is sanctification? That's that legal declaration and justification. But sanctification is the ongoing transformation. I say ongoing to be made more holy. That's what it is. God takes, can't separate them, but you must distinguish them. God takes the justified sinner and renews the whole person 
into the likeness of God and into the person of Jesus Christ. I think Kevin DeYoung said it well, and I think it's helpful. He said, sanctification is a gift just as justification. He called it, actually quoting Calvin, a double grace. They are both ours by virtue of our union with Christ, both necessary for our salvation. Justification is the root. Sanctification is the fruit. Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. It leads to a life of holiness. We know that. The former justification can't help produce the latter sanctification, and the latter sanctification must flow from the former. Let me see if I can put this on a screen for you. Look at the next slide. I want you to understand these. These are some broad categories, but you got to get this because you won't know how to live the Christian life, and neither will I if we don't know and have clarity on this subject. Justification is complete, top left. Top right, sanctification as a general thought, I'll explain that, is progressive. In justification, he frees you from wrath. In sanctification, he frees you from the reigning power of sin. I didn't say that he, he uh, frees you from sin altogether. We know that's not true. He frees you from the reigning power of sin. Justification is instantaneous. It's complete. All I know is when I was 14 years old, I was on my knees at my bedside. I've told you this. And I confessed Christ as my Lord and Savior. I got up off my knees because I put my trust in him. And he declared me legally righteous. It is not a process. When I got off my knees for me at 14, it was instantaneous. It was, it was complete. God didn't declare me righteous and then undeclare me. He didn't write me in the Lamb's Book of Life and then un erase me. It's instantaneous, but look over. Sanctification, what we're talking about here, is progressive. We're growing in that. In fact, justification is perfect in this life. Right now, the way that God sees you through the finished work of Christ is righteous in his sight. It's perfect. Sanctification is not perfect in this life. We are battling. We are growing. There's highs. There's lows. Here, justification is an indicative. And what I mean by that is just your position. At 14, he declared me righteous. It's my position in Christ. Sanctification is an imperative. In other words, Paul's going to say, you've got to put off the old man. You've got to mortify the flesh. We'll get to that. Justification, second from the bottom, is monergistic. So what do you mean monergistic? It's God alone. You don't justify yourself. You don't do right works. You don't do good deeds. You don't give the good causes. It's monergistic. It is God acting on the sinner in his sovereignty, declaring you righteous. Sanctification, on the other hand, is synergistic. Oh, yes, God's going to be at work in our life. But you have a responsibility in that. You have a responsibility, and I'm telling you, to mortify the flesh. You have a responsibility to take every thought captive. You have a responsibility to not click on the phone. You have a responsibility to not provide your sinful flesh with outlets to sin. 
And God will hold us responsible for that. Justification is a work on us. He's work, he worked on us. It's a call to rest. Sanctification is a work in us. And it is a call to fight. Next slide. I mean, I can just keep going on these. The justification is the same for all believers. If you're in Christ, you're justified. There's not portions of it. It's instantaneous. You don't get part of it now and then get a second blessing later. It is the same for all believers. Sanctification, on the other hand, is greater in some than others. Say, is that true? Of course that's true. Because some people are mortified in the flesh, meditating on the scripture, and manifesting Christ. There's no works or effort. You understand that. In sanctification, effort is vital. We fight. We pray. In justification, it is finished and complete. In sanctification, it is sweat. It is work. It is discipline. It's perfect justification at once. There's no growth, okay? Here in sanctification, it's imperfect. It's progressive for the sake of a word. Here in justification, our sin is pardoned. And in sanctification, our sin is subdued. So beloved, these are distinct doctrines. You say, well, Scott, why do you think that they need to be distinct? Of course they're distinct. Because you got to have justification standing by itself. It's there, but it's inseparable from sanctification. But sanctification is a process, but we have to stand in our justification. But they both go together. So let me see if I can give you three um, uh, ways to understand sanctification. Okay? And each of these are important. There's positional Sanctification, there's progressive sanctification, and there's final sanctification. If I don't explain this to you, uh, it could either lead to great frustration or it could lead to such a great effort that you forget that God's at work in you. So first is positional sanctification. You say, what do you mean positional? Well, it's a once and for all event at salvation. We understand, I'm going to unpack that it's progressive. But you have to understand that it's positional. In fact, the Bible says it this way at certain places. You were sanctified. And it's put in the past tense. In other words, it is a positional reality. Just like justification. It's complete at the moment you trusted Christ. This is also known within theological constructs as objective <laughs> sanctification. In other words, it's looking to the work of Christ on your behalf. Sometimes it's called definitive sanctification. There's verses for it. You say, show me that. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. In other words, he already made you holy. So what do you mean? Positionally, that's how he sees you. If in justification he removed your sin and he added the righteousness of Christ within the doctrine of sanctification, there is a positional reality of that. You say, well, Scott, I don't feel that way. You may not feel that way, but he's looking at you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians six eleven. after he lists a horrific, uh, you know, list of sins, he said, such were some of you. But you were washed, and here it is again. You were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. But you're just, you're, you're sanctified, past tense. 
So positional sanctification is a completed work. And the emphasis is on the holiness that we have in Christ Jesus through his once and for all sacrifice. You say, but Scott, what is it here then in 422 when he tells us to, to, to put off the old self? Positional sanctification, and this is crucial, is a break compared to your old life with sin's power. It is a break with sin's power. It doesn't mean that we don't have sin, but it does mean when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that that bondage to sin was broken. In other words, that dominion of sin that once dominated you no longer dominates you. In other words, Paul would say it this way in Romans 6.6, 6, we are no longer slaves to sin. Why would he say that? Because once you were a Gentile, enslaved to sin, enslaved to your lust, enslaved to your deceit. But he's saying now as you've come to Christ in that positional sanctification, you're no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6, 7, for whoever has died is free from sin. Is that, is that how it says there? Is free. Go to the next slide. Is free from sin. Move that, you guys, over there. I want you to see this in Romans. Keep going. Okay, here it is. Is freed from sin. That would be maybe one prior to that. And what it means is that you're no longer dominated by it. In fact, Romans 6, 6 says we are no longer a slave of sin. We've been freed from it. In other words, you've been, you've been freed from its control, from its slavery, from its bondage. Romans 6, 11 says this, consider yourselves dead to sin. This is positional sanctification. Dead to sin, alive to God. It says right there in Romans, I think there is 6.13, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In other words, because of what he's done to you, you can't let it reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You don't have to obey its passions. He's redeemed you. He's regenerated you. He's justified you. He's sanctified you. And in that sanctification, he freed you so that you don't have to obey its passions. Do not present the members, and I think he's just talking about our body there, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You've been redeemed. This is all bound up in positional sanctification. For sin will not have, will have no dominion over you because you are not under the law, you're under grace. And Romans 6.18 says, believers have been set free from sin. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but you've been set free from the, the dominion of sin, from the bondage of sin, from the enslavement to sin. You say, well, when did that happen? Well, when he died, you died. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I died with him. It is no longer I who live, but what? But Christ who lives in me. So the point here in this position of sanctification is that sin has no claim on you. Sin has no power over you. You have, in Christ Jesus, been set free from the ruling power of sin 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it just this clearly. You can talk about this at Grace Group. Sin no longer is ever to be your master as before you trusted Christ. I think a writer put it this way. I should never say, let me just throw a practical uh, illustration here. I should never say, for example, I give up. I have had a bad temper for 37 years and I will have one until I die and people are just going to have to put up with me the way that I am. That's not right. That is to say that sin has dominion over you, that sin is allowed to reign in your body. Paul would say to you, you need to put that off if you're in Christ. You ought to mortify the flesh. So Christ has set you free from sin's tyranny and control. And that positional sanctification leads secondly to progressive sanctification, which is what Paul is getting at here. Where positional sanctification is a definitive break with our past, it on the other hand doesn't make us perfect. We will not be free from sin until death. And that's glorification. So let me say it this way. Sanctification is both a past event, but clearly I think you would understand that as you think about it. It is an ongoing process. It is a process in which God is at work in you, but we are active with the Holy Spirit. Now let me just put, put sanctification first then under this progressive nature is a progressive work of God. I don't want to put it all on us because the Bible doesn't. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, you know this, I am confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That the one who began a good work in you is going to perfect you until the day of Christ when he comes back or he takes you to glory. So you don't just see justification as monergistic and sanctification is all yours. There is a positional sanctification and then bound up in sanctification, there is a work of God on your behalf. Do you remember when Paul put it this way in Philippians 2.12? He said, for it is God who is at work, where? In you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. So praise the Lord, you're not left yourself in this process. God is at work in you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit in you. That is why when you become a Christian, you're now guilty and your conscience bothers you in a greater way because the Holy Spirit now is inside you and he's producing, seeking to holiness and he's at work in you. So God the Father is at work. God the Holy Spirit is at work in you. It will say that in Ephesians 5. It says that, that the sanctification in 1 Peter 1, 2 is by the Spirit. We're exhorted in Galatians 5 to walk by the Spirit. So it is a work of God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of Christ and abiding in us and us in him. So I just say that so I don't want to throw you off. It's not just strong willpower here. Okay. It's not just your own effort. Just come on. You do it. You know, the Nike slogan. Just do it. Listen, 
there's an aspect in sanctification. It is a progressive work of God, a progressive work of the Holy Spirit, a progressive work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. We are Holy Spirit enabled, but not only is sanctification a work of God in us, it is also a work of believers. I said all that to say that. In other words, you are active in this. You say, well, what do you mean active? So let, let me take an old analogy when some people used to say many years ago, just let go and let God. Just let go and let God do it. And it almost comes off as though you have no responsibility. And the Bible is clear. You do have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. You, myself, are exhorted to be holy. You are told to put on the armor of God. You are told to take up the sword of the Spirit. You are told to abstain from fleshly lust. So you have a responsibility to mortify the old self. Let, let me be clear and say it this way. Maybe this will help you. Sin has been dethroned, yes, but it has not been destroyed. You have a cinder in your heart and you need to mortify it. So much so, you say, well, how does this work, Scott? Well, I think you understand it. When Paul said, not only is God at work in you, but he also, in that same scripture in Philippians 2, told you to work out your salvation with what? Fear and what? Trembling. In other words, he's at work in you, but you've got to work it out with fear and trembling. In other words, you're active. So that Paul would say this in Romans 6.12, let not their sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In other words, young men, women, you are exhorted to put off the old man. You are responsible for that. Christianity is not come down an aisle, pray a prayer, sign in the dot, you know, on the dotted line, dunk you in the tank as soon as you can. No, no, no. Justification kicks into sanctification and you and I are called to be holy. This church is called to be holy. And Paul's going to say, do not let sin therefore reign. In other words, it can't own you. It shouldn't dominate you. You should not be a slave to it. There is the progressive nature of it. You don't have to obey its passions. Don't present your members as, a, as, as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself as those who have been brought from death to life, your members as instruments for righteousness. In other words, you're active. <coughs> I mean, it's quite a responsibility, okay? But listen, let me just say the sin isn't to have mastery over you. When God saved you, he transformed your life. We are God's. We won't get to perfection until glory, but you have as your responsibility to mortify the flesh, I would say probably every day. To take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so you're to present your members under righteousness or holiness. In fact, Paul would say, and I'm pushing here because this is the point of Ephesians 4.22, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Put it to death, mortify it, kill sin, or it's gonna be killing you 
is the thought. He, here's another example of this progressive nature. For this is the will of God. You know this one, verse 3. Your sanctification. There it is. You could actually say, for this is the will of God, your holiness, hagias, it's the same word. Your holiness that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. Do you want to be in the will of God, young people? The Bible says if you want to be in the will of God, the will of God is holiness. And if it's holiness, then he's telling you to abstain from sexual immorality. You, you say, well, I don't, I, I don't have the power to do that. Oh, come on. He transformed you. He placed the spirit of God inside you. He's prompting you to holiness. And the text here says you need to abstain from it. You need to kill it or it will be killing you. First Thessalonians 4, 7. God has not called us for impurity. There's a great text. But in holiness, in other words, you're active. Let me put it this way. Paul said it in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He told us to flee, and then he uses this word, immorality. And I think he shouted it. And then in the next verse, it says, honor God with your body, glorify God. But he told us to flee immorality. In other words, you're not to to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person date the dead, be missionary dating, Paul would say, listen, you better flee from immorality. In other words, you better run from it, is the thought. You're active in it, you understand. <laughs> Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he said, we have these promises, beloved. Let us, and here's this active nature, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In other words, here's what he's saying. You're no longer like the Gentiles. You once used to live this way, but this is not the way you learned Christ. And how he's going to tell us how to live is you've got to take off like a garment, this old self, this smoldering cinder. And as John Murray said, you've got to let God take you into the slaughterhouse for your sin, but you're Cleansing yourself from every defilement of the body. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you. I think he, he, he said it this way. Uh, urge is okay. It's paracolel. I think he was saying this though. I plead with you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Your First Peter 1, 15, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You need to be holy. You may be in seventh grade this morning. You need to be holy. You may be in eighth grade. You need to be holy. You say, well, Scott, okay, we sing holy, holy, holy. What is it? Well, I, there's two ways I can just tell you real quick, okay? Holiness is to be from evil, okay? Number one. And then number two, it means to be dedicated to God. Holiness is to be separated from evil and dedicated to God. And so you see all this, all these things mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, I just was reading in my Bible through the year. Moses, take off your sandals for you are on what? Holy ground. In other words, there's ground 
and then there's holy ground. It's separated because God himself was there in the burning bush. It's, it's separated from what is common and it is dedicated unto God. So he tells you to be holy. Listen, I don't, I don't want, I'm not preaching here a works righteousness, but I want Grace Church of the Valley. I want your family to know. I want your kids to know that they are to mortify the flesh. You say, well, what is that stuff? Well, it lives, what is it? It's, I don't know, I just call it unredeemed flesh. Even though he made you alive, even though he justified you, even though he sanctified you positionally, progressively, you ought to be fighting this stuff with all your life. Paul put it this way in Romans 13, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Now, I'd stop there. Do you make provision for that? I know a ton of men who make a lot of provisions for the flesh. I'm not so much speaking here in, in our church, but being in pastoral ministry for many years, I know guys who made provision. Like the guy who I told you one time drove into a a place of ill repute. I don't need to say more. I said, so you're telling me you drove your car? Yeah. You're, and he was just, he, he needed to tell his wife where he had been. And I said, so you're telling me, I know where that place is off the freeway. I said, you're telling me you got off that off ramp? Yeah. You're, you're telling me you drove into that place? Yeah. You're telling me you, you opened your car door? Yeah. You're telling me you put your boot out of the car, yeah? You're telling me you walked into this place. And I'm just, you say, well, what is the guy doing? Well, he's not doing this. He's making provision for the flesh. And I think I've told you this before. This is the guy, I said, hey, I'm just asking you. They got cameras all over these places. I said, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're all over. I said, he goes, I've, I've, I've worked on that. I said, what do you mean you worked on it? He said, I wear a hat. That's what he told me. He wears a hat. And he says, but Scott, I also wear a pair of sunglasses. And I said, you think God doesn't see you? So my, my point, why did I tell you that? Just, I threw it out for free. It's not in my notes. My wife will usually say, if it's not in your notes, Scott, it's dangerous, you know. Um, why did I tell you that? Because Paul said, make no provision for the flesh. That guy has a responsibility to kill flesh, to not drive by that place, to not get out of his car. You don't strategize with sin. You don't make a plan for sin. I know a guy who made no provision for the flesh. His name, his name I can give you 15 of them, but just one. His name was Job. Job said in 31.1 that I've made a covenant with my what? Eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? That's a guy who's making no provision for the flesh. You, I, could, I could go on. Joseph made no provision for the flesh. Potiphar's wife seized him and he ran I don't think he ran just like, I better get out of here. I think he was thinking about it. My, my point is for us, listen, beloved. 
He's justified us, amen. He's forgiven us past, present, and future sin. He's sanctified you, looking at you through the, 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 the glasses of the Lord Jesus Christ who kept the light. But I'm telling you, in sanctification, you and I are to be active in doing that. Have I told you the story about the Eskimo? The Eskimo fishermen came to town every Saturday afternoon. And this, fish, this, this Eskimo always brought with him two dogs. One of them was white and the other one was black. And this Eskimo taught this, these dogs to fight on his command. And every Saturday afternoon in the town square, the people would gather and these two dogs would fight and the fishermen would take bets. On one Saturday, the black dog would win. And on the next Saturday, the white dog would win. But here's the point of the story is that every Saturday, the fishermen won. He put bets on who would win. And his friends finally asked him how he did it. He said this, quote, I starve one and I feed the other. And the one I feed always wins because it's stronger. And I thought, how true that is. What you put into your mind and what I put into my mind and heart is going to be the strength that we have, either towards sin or towards holiness. Paul said, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. So here's positional sanctification. Here's progressive sanctification. And let me just give you a word on final sanctification. I don't, well, I don't think I need to say much. I think you get it. Final sanctification is when you stand before the Lord and he will see you as perfect. When you stand before the Lord in heaven, there's no longer a fight for sin. There's no more night. There's no more sorrow. There's no more sin. There's no more death. And then that, that cindering, smoldering, unredeemed flesh that lives in us will be completely transformed. So there is final sanctification. And I, I just say that's glory. And what I meant by that is that not everybody believes that. There are certain people in the Wesleyan tradition. There are certain people in the Nazarene tradition. There are people in the Arminian, that's Arminian, not Armenian, make sure you know that, who believe that you can attain to the highest level of holiness. They believe that you can attain to the level of perfectionism in this life. They call it perfectionism. Another word for it is called second blessing. But I hardly think we need to dabble there. Uh, the Bible teaches that no one is free from sin in this life. One verse, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But beloved, there's no shortcuts to this. Sanctification, at least progressively, is hard fought. It's not easily attained. The disciplines of prayer come in there. The disciplines of scripture come in there. The disciplines of fellowship come in here. Thanks for coming. Listen, I, I want you to feel connected to our body every week. Because I believe the Lord created the Lord's day so that we could fight together against this sin. So look back at, I think it's the last two slides. Here we just looked at mortification of sin, right? But here's how we can say it, to close it up. We have been saved from sin's penalty. That's justification. 
We are right now, this is what we're preaching on, being saved from sin's power. In other words, he delivered us from it, but we're being, we're in the process of becoming more like Christ. And then one day we will be saved from sin's presence. May that be our heart and prayer. Would you bow your head with me?